0: I mean, okay, help me out here. Come on, just give me something. If you had one word to describe me, what would it be?
1: Lazy. Lazy. Hey, 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 one at a time. Lazy. Angry. Tired. Actually, lazy and tired are kind of the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, but I still think she's more lazy than angry. I don't know. If you call her on being lazy, she gets really angry. Mm. That's not fair! Thank you. She's only angry because she's getting older, nothing turned out like she wanted, and now, at this
0: late stage of her life, when she should be able to kick back and relax, she's stuck grabbing at her one last chance to try and make something of herself.
1: Wait. What about Nagy? Good
2: good answer. answer. Good
0: good answer.
1: answer. Okay, that's enough. The reason your mom is tired, lazy, and irritable it's because of you guys. No one said irritable. Okay, fine. You're not irritable. You know what? Forget it. You people are useless. We're only trying to help. God, she is so ungrateful. Oh, ungrateful. Good answer. Good, answer. Good, answer. Good, answer. Good answer.
0: Hello and welcome to Story Online. Thank you so much for logging on with us today. That is a dangerous question, isn't it? Like, is there one word to describe you? I know my wife has several one-word descriptions for me. Last week, someone asked me to describe storyline, and it got me to thinking, how would I describe this community in one word? And I couldn't come up with just one word, but I think one word that gets close to the heart of who we are is the word mission. You see, we believe that Jesus knew what he was doing in helping people to find faith and then form faith in the grace of God. And in doing so, he continually frustrated the religious establishment. He confounded the political authorities and challenged everyone else with a big and beautiful view of God and vision for life. And Storyline is a community on a mission to experience, enjoy, and embody Jesus' view of God and vision for life, and then extend it to everyone, everywhere, every day. In real life settings, Jesus took on real life issues in a way that made real life come to life. And, and our hope in prayer is that together with God's guidance and help, we will see the same thing happen in and through us together. So we gather together and when we do that, um, we often consider how can we allow Jesus to reframe our view of God and recast our vision for life. And in that spirit, in our last story online, we took on one of those real life issues. The issue, the subject of forgiveness. And there's no doubt it's important to God. In fact, one of his many names in the Bible is Elohi Selikot, which means the God of forgiveness. Now, it's a controversial subject. There is profound disagreement on exactly what forgiveness is how it works and how to get it. In in one corner we have like religion, which makes forgiveness this exclusive achievement, this elusive accomplishment, a reserve reserved for the moral champions and the spiritual giants. And in the other corner are those who just refuse to acknowledge that a loving God would even need to consider forgiveness, because he could never be mad or upset or hurt or disappointed by anyone. And as usual, we find Jesus right in the middle of this tension. Because Jesus presents us with a God who is infuriated by the injustice, oppression, abuse, and violence perpetrated against his children. The problem is that all of that is done against his children by his children. At the same time, we find a God presented by Jesus that is aggressively and self-sacrificially and unconditionally forgiving. Now, not too long ago, I met with a friend who told me, Mike, I really like this Jesus guy, what he stands for, but I just can't believe in a benevolent God anymore. Not with the way the world is, you know, hashtag 2020. And then he looked right at me and he said, How can you? Well, it's a really good question. It's a a fair question. And the only answer that I could give him was Jesus and his cross. I told him my only hope that God is good and and comes comes from the reality that he sees all of this brokenness, the pain and the suffering in the world, and yet he literally shows up in it himself, in person, dying to make things right to put a stop to the madness, to scream no more and unleash this counter-revolution of grace and love. And that all begins, that must begin with forgiveness. The way we said it in part one of this series is God hates sin because he loves us and sin is killing us. So Jesus came to us to die for us As in because of us, but also if we'll let him instead of us. We use the analogy that humankind, like we're all like children who've run away from God into the street. And God is pleading with us to come back to him, but he will not strip us of our free will. And that means he will not stop us from running away in the first place, nor will he chase after us in such a way and grab hold of us and capture us and drag us back. So in an effort to demonstrate what happens to show us the natural consequences of living apart from God, he sent his son Jesus into the street to in effect step in front of traffic for us, to step in front of the car that was going to hit us. That is what is happening on the cross. God is simultaneously demonstrating how much he loves us and how detrimental, dangerous, and deadly it is for us to live without him. The forgiveness of God on the cross is an important, but also really deep and mysterious and difficult topic. I don't pretend to fully comprehend it. I hope that you're not picking that up for me right now, because no one fully understands it, and no one has to. What we do need, for our own sake, is to trust that in spite of all that we have done, we are forgiven. And that no matter what's been done to us, we are accepted. Because of the cross of Jesus, God is not opposed to us. He's not mad at us. He's not disappointed with us. He is on our side. Jesus has done all that needs to be done. He's done all that he can do to reestablish an open, flowing, loving relationship between us and God. Yet, we also considered in our last, in part one, how receiving this forgiveness, how accepting our acceptance, what the Bible calls repentance, is critical to changing our relationship with God. And so this morning, or this week, we turn to how forgiveness can change our relationship with ourselves. And that begins with the way in which or how Jesus offers forgiveness in the first place. It's how he offers forgiveness that can totally transform how we view and think about ourselves and our lives and what life is for. And it is how he offered forgiveness that actually got him killed. In part one, we saw how Jesus forgave a paralyzed man. This morning, it's a young lady in a very different situation. This is what the Bible says. Jesus went across to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, "Teacher." This woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Well, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they all walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. One theologian put it like this. The religious authorities at the time would have embraced the importance of forgiveness and welcomed anyone who is truly repentant. But their forgiveness comes after repentance. In contrast, Jesus portrayed a radical forgiveness as unconditional and thus as that which is offered before repentance. That's how Jesus forgives us. Last week we said that repentance means to stop, turn around, and surrender your life to God, to the God who's already surrendered his life for us so that he can live in us and love the world right again through us. Repentance is the one thing that we must do. Not to get God on our side, but we must repent to get ourselves on his because repentance is just another way of saying Receiving our forgiveness or accepting our acceptance. But this is also where it gets really beautiful for us and so very dangerous for Jesus because if what Jesus is saying about forgiveness is true, then there's no need for religion, for any man-made plan or attempt on our part to earn our forgiveness or to earn our acceptance with God. By offering forgiveness before repentance, Jesus was killing religion's monopoly on forgiveness. And so the religious establishment, who very much knew what Jesus was trying to do, they had him killed. Now, a real quick disclaimer here. I, we often, I should say I often, jump on religion pretty hard. And so, and so just let me clarify this for a second. We can recapture tradition and ritual and ceremonies in ways that are beautiful, amazing, and life-giving and gracious. But when an elite religious class is in charge of deciding who is in and who is out, who is fit for forgiveness and who isn't, they wield enormous power. And Jesus was clearly stripping organized religion and its leaders of that role. Offering forgiveness before repentance apart from religion is what got Jesus killed. And in a beautiful, brilliant, and breathtaking twist, it is his death that can bring us to life in new ways as it transforms our relationships with ourselves and our lives. So really our question becomes today, how does the offer of forgiveness and acceptance before repentance change our relationship with ourselves? Well, notice what this story here, what doesn't happen. Jesus didn't say, do you promise to leave your life of sin? That isn't how it went. He didn't say, hey, are you really sorry for all that you've done wrong? It doesn't go that way either. We know this woman is scared. We know she's embarrassed, but we have no idea if she has any faith at all. No clue if she has or if she will repent. But Jesus doesn't wait. He tells her right now, as you are, not as you should be, naked, afraid, guilty, exposed, I forgive you. Regardless of how you feel about me, before I even know if you believe in me or not, I forgive you clearly for jesus forgiveness is the heart of the matter
2: Talking on the phone Said she found someone the friends fancy-
0: Jesus thinks it would be best for this woman to repent, to accept his forgiveness. He, he tells her, Sin no more. He's saying, Turn your life around by accepting your acceptance, receiving your forgiveness, and surrendering to God. But repentance is not a condition to get forgiveness, it is a gift of forgiveness the way jesus is offering forgiveness as a gift can change how we relate to ourselves and our life because here's what it means we don't have to we now can live our life with nothing to hide nothing to prove nothing to fear and nothing to lose maybe it's easiest to see this by comparing two types of communities communities based on our religion, are communities where you always have something to hide. Now, it might not seem like that at first because um, things are going well, but really they're, they're steeped in pretending and pretension because they're built upon everything is okay between you and God when everything's okay with you. So you better look good and you better have your act together. This dynamic isn't always obvious until something goes wrong in you or in your life or until you make some mistake or until you find yourself living out plan B. And then the warm, cozy feeling that you used to feel when you were towing the line can turn cold pretty fast. And by the way, I'm happy to say that Storyline is a plan B community. If you feel like you aren't good enough to belong to a church, like you won't fit in, you aren't somehow qualified or good enough or believe enough, then you should know that is exactly how I feel. And storyline is for you and me. See, in communities based on religion, you always have something to prove because forgiveness is an achievement, something to be earned. That means forgiveness is the goal. It's like the finish line. Everything ends with forgiveness. But for communities based on God's grace, on this second type of community, forgiveness isn't an achievement. It's a gift to be accepted and enjoyed. It isn't the goal of life. It's the source of life. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. In religion, there are always, there's always something to fear, too, because forgiveness is only about mercy. What do we need to do to avoid, like, punishment? But Jesus presents an entirely different view of God and vision for life and a different kind of community, one where forgiveness is all about grace. Now, mercy is great, but it is only one very small part of amazing grace. We lived in Los Angeles for eight years, and one of the things that you learn really quickly there is that when you can and when you can't get on the freeway. I mean, the traffic there is indescribable, unless you're in the carpool lane. Now, this is a lane to the far left, and is reserved for cars with multiple occupants, and it's usually super expensive, really fast cars. This is the lane where you see the Porsches and the Lamborghinis, and there's this unwritten rule that you can essentially go as fast as you want in the carpool lane. So, on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles, you have five or six lanes of stop-and-go gridlock traffic, and then to the left, it's like the Daytona 500. I mean, I can't even imagine how you could ever get a speeding ticket in that lane. But I actually know someone who did. Now, I'm not going to tell you her name to protect the innocent, me. But somehow, this person I know managed to get a speeding ticket in the carpool lane. And she did it in a 1992 Ford Escort wagon, which is virtually impossible. It's quite an accomplishment. Now imagine that the police officer pulling her over and saying something like, Hey, I'm going to let you off with just a warning. That is mercy. That's getting out of something bad. But imagine a slightly different scenario. Imagine that the police officer said, Hey, Not only were you speeding, this is going to go on your record and I'm afraid there's not just a fine but jail time But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your ticket I'm going to serve your jail time and I'm going to give you my badge so that you can have my clean record That is grace That's getting us in to something good So here's the deal Forgiveness is just the beginning of what God wants to do for us and in us and through us. It is not the end. It is not the pinnacle. It is the foundation. Understanding that, seeing that, can reorient the entire trajectory of our life and how we view ourselves because outside of being set right, like accepted and forgiven and connected openly and freely to God and to ourselves, so much of life is about hiding and proving and fearing and losing. Life devolves into compensating for this deep existential disconnection, this separations that all human beings experience. We, we see it in ancient philosophy. We read it in our best literature. We experience it in our best movies and, and all of our best songs all of human history is an epic portrayal of this disconnect this something missing and our efforts to find some sense of transcendent meaning and purpose through maybe religious piety or political power or social status or some other compensation escape or distraction see a- along these lines one of my biggest challenges in my life is my vocation and i have two i teach high school at Lakeshore, and I do this, what I'm doing for Storyline. And I'm constantly battling, especially when it comes to my role here with Storyline, with this deep-seated self-involvement. Like, when I forget my forgiveness, when I deny my acceptance, when I live as if I have to prove it or lose it, life is just one anxiety after another. I worry all the time. I worry about not being good enough, helpful enough. I think my talks are too long or boring or don't make sense. I question my worthiness. I second guess my abilities, my qualifications, my effectiveness. I wonder what people think of me. It is grueling. It is a terrible way to live. It can turn what for me should be an honor and a privilege into a chore. Instead of an opportunity to experience and enjoy and extend the grace, every day becomes a tense and anxious test like this existential gamble that I'm taking like, will I measure up today? The point is, whether we are living disconnected from God or having to earn our connection with God, in both those scenarios, all of life is always about me, like who I am what I do, how I look, what others think of me. My relationship with myself, in other words, is all about me. I'm totally self-involved. Seven billion people on the planet and 99.9% of my time, effort, and energy is focused on just one of them, me. But when we accept our acceptance... Just breathe that in for a second. When we immigrate from the tyranny of religion and the kingdom of me, of how well and how often we perform, measure up, accomplish and achieve, into the kingdom of God's grace and we just receive our forgiveness, repentance is no longer a condition that we have to meet or another test that we have to pass. It's part of the gift It is simply our response to grace. It's the same thing as saying, just enjoy your forgiveness instead of trying to earn it. Accepting the forgiveness Jesus is offering us first, while we are paralyzed on the mat or while we are naked, guilty, and exposed, means we are finally free to live with nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, And nothing to lose it is the freedom and peace of divine self-forgetfulness it's not the slavery of self-involvement but self-forgetfulness there's a great line in the old vietnam movie apocalypse now marlon brando is talking to martin sheen and he says true freedom is not just freedom from the opinion of others it is freedom from your own opinion Of yourself. (laughs) That's awesome. What a beautiful gift that would be, right? Let me close with just a few things to wonder about, a few things to think about this week. What if living by faith in the grace of God, the God who forgives before we repent, means we don't have to fear our worst fears about ourselves? And what if living inside grace, building our life on our acceptance means we can know this in our souls? Even more important than loving God, the most important thing in life is letting ourselves be loved by God. Wow. We could talk about that for months. (laughs) Finally, what if Accepting our acceptance means accepting the reality that God not only loves me, He likes me. The Bible says it this way, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. The forgiveness of God is a gift. It comes before we repent. This means we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose. It is truly an amazing grace. Oh. Uh. So there are dozens of names describing God in the Bible, like Elohi Selikot, the God of forgiveness. But Jesus had his own name for God, and I believe it is the best one-word description for him. Jesus called God Abba, and it simply means Daddy. A good dad not only loves you, he likes you. And living in that kind of unconditional acceptance and belonging can change how we feel about ourselves and free us from a life that it's about hiding, improving, and fearing, and and losing, and frees us for truly living in and living out the grace of God, which is where we'll turn in part three of this series on forgiveness let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We certainly thank you for your forgiveness and the way that you have opened the door for us to live in the wisdom and the tenderness of being accepted fully by you, by God, by knowing that we're not only loved but like God, I pray that you would show us, just give us a glimpse into what life might look like if we were living with nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to lose. Thank you so much. uh, I ask God that as we log off today that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Hope to see you again soon.